today I want to talk to you about how did we get here, how do we stay here, and how do we go further even yet. And so on your notes on the screen today, I want to talk about eight keys, this is all about the keys, to an effective ministry. And when I, I want to be clear about this, these are not just the keys to an effective ministry, these are the keys to an effective life. Because for a believer in Jesus Christ, life and ministry are the same thing. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a minister. Uh, you have been saved to serve. You have been called to serve. When you give your heart to Jesus Christ, you put on an apron. When you give your heart to Jesus Christ, you roll up your sleeves and you go to work. Because a non-serving Christian is a contradiction in terms. And so if your life is going to make sense, if your life is going to be effective, you need to understand the keys to effective ministry. Because every believer is a minister. So on your notes on the screen, number one, an effective life and ministry is based on God's grace. Romans 15, Paul says, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. The grace God gave me to minister. First thing you need to realize, you don't deserve to be in ministry. I don't deserve to be a Christian, let alone deserve to be in the ministry. I don't deserve forgiveness, much less to be used by God. Ministry is a privilege that is given to me because of God's grace. Grace is the fact that God knows every stupid mistake I'll make in ministry, and He still chooses to use me. For years, I, I thought one day God's going to wake up and realize that I'm the pastor of Rockbrook Church, and He's going to go, what? Who let Him do that? But grace is God knows every stupid mistake I'll make in ministry. God knows every stupid mistake you will make in ministry. And God still chooses to use you and me. Just because you're serving the Lord doesn't mean you won't make mistakes. You will stumble, fumble, bumble your way along because we are all becomers on the road to spiritual maturity. Everything God does in you, through you, and for you, He does by grace through faith. It's a gift of God's grace that we get to serve in ministry. And so when somebody says, who do you think you are serving in ministry at that church? Say, wrong question. The question is not, who do I think I am? The question is, who do I know God is? And I know God is gracious. Number two, effective life in ministry is built on God's word. Paul says, I have the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. Well, what's the gospel of God? It's the Bible. This is the guidebook for ministry. This is the guidebook for life. The closer I can live my life to what it says to do in this book, the more effective my life will become. The farther I stray from what it says to do in this book, the more ineffective my life becomes. At Rockbrook, our goal from the beginning has been to build our church, to build our very lives on the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be thoroughly furnished. Read the last phrase with me. Unto every good work. The whole purpose of this book is to prepare you for ministry. To prepare you for ministry. It's not to make you happy. It's to make you holy. 
To be holy means to be set aside for God's purpose. To be holy means to be effective in ministry. To minister to the body of Christ. To to share Christ with the lost world. What God offers you in here is so much greater than yourself. We, we have got to get our eyes up off ourselves, up off our stuff, up off our job, even up off our kids. We've got to get our eyes onto the ministry that Jesus Christ has called us to. Because when you focus on that, everything else falls into place. You focus on something else, everything else falls apart. You'll see it over and over and over again. Because, number three, an effective life and ministry is done for God's glory. It's not about you. It's about God's glory. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. It's important to remember that God uses broken people because that's all he's got. And many times you'll start serving in ministry and your gift, your spiritual gift, begins to develop in an area. And spiritual gifts are like muscles. The more you use it, the bigger and stronger it gets. And so God's using your spiritual gift in a certain area, and you're growing in that area. And then all of a sudden you think, how in the world can I be in ministry? How can I, how can I lead a small group? How can I work in Rockbrook for Kids? How can I be a greeter? How can I be on the cleaning and setup crew when I've got all of these weaknesses in my life? not about your weaknesses. Your gift is always bigger than you are. And you need to realize that God often gives his greatest gifts to the weakest people. Why? So we stay humble. We stay humble before the Lord. Because the, the thing God judges faster than anything else is pride. And God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And humility is being honest about your weaknesses. And recognizing that your strengths come from God. To be humble, you don't have to discount your strengths. You don't have to be ashamed of your strength. You don't have to pretend like you're not strong in that area. You just recognize, hey, God gave me that gift, and I'm using it for His glory. Number four, an effective life and ministry is performed in God's power. Paul says, by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. He will be effective in life and ministry. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're preparing yourself, not preparing yourself spiritually for the ministry that you're in, whether you're a greeter or an usher, children's worker, whatever, if you're not preparing yourself spiritually, you're not going to be effective. But if you spiritually prepare yourself for your service, if you say, Lord, this weekend over a thousand people are going to come through these doors. God, I want you to use me to reach those people with Christ's love. May I just touch them with the love of Christ. And now you're, you're not doing it in the power of your own personality. What impresses people is somebody who has prepared their heart and lets Christ's love flow through them. If you've got just a split second to pat them on the back or to care for them in some small way, it makes a difference. Zechariah says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Our theme verse in our Seeing Jesus series was 1 Corinthians 2. 
You'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. That's Paul. And we may read that and think, oh, Paul, man, he's just a super confident guy. He, he knew the right thing, knew how to say the right thing, knew how to do the right thing, never had any doubts, any failings, any fears. Look at the very next verse. He says, I was unsure of how to go about this and felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death, if you want the truth of it. And so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else. But the message came through anyway. God's Spirit and God's power did it. Which made it clear that your life of faith is a response to God's power, not to some fancy mental or emotional footwork by me or anyone else. Paul says, I'm inadequate. I don't have the ability to do this. It's God's power. God, God would rather use a weakling. Why? Because then it's obvious. God's the one who did it. Our greatest life messages will come through our greatest weaknesses and failures because then it's performed through God's power, by God's grace, for God's glory. Number five, an effective life in ministry is planned according to God's purpose. Paul says, it's always been my ambition. Is it okay to have ambition? Yes, but your ambition needs to be to fulfill the life mission that God has given you. Paul says, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. I plan to do so when I go to Spain. So notice, Paul has ambition and Paul makes plans. You read through the book of Acts, Paul had a very clear strategy to preach the gospels in the major cities of the Roman Empire. Ephesus, Colossae, Philippi, those were the major trade centers because he knew he couldn't get everywhere, but if he could hit those strategic cities, the gospel would spread out from there. Too many people think they're just going to get up in the morning, Lord, what do you want me to do today? And they just kind of free float through life, thinking they're spirit-led. No, the spirit leads us to plan. Life is too important to go through it without a plan. Proverbs on your outline, I'll tell you, it's foolish not to plan. The wise person plans their life according to God's purpose. Number six, an effective life in ministry is supported by God's people. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution. Indeed, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. One time a pastor was preaching to me and he was all fired up and he said, this church has got to get up and walk. And the people said, amen, pastor, it's got to walk. He said, folks, our church has got to get up and run. We've got to run with the gospel. And the people said, amen, it's got to run with the gospel. He said, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, this church has got to fly. We've got to get up and fly. And people said, yes, this church has got to let it fly, let it fly. The pastor said, to fly, it takes money. And the people all said, let it walk, pastor, let it walk. <laughs> but it takes money to do ministry. It takes our money. And you've heard me say it over and over again. God, when God provides for this church, money doesn't just fall out of the sky. Money doesn't just miraculously appear. No, everything this church gets to meet its needs 
has human fingerprints all over it. Your fingerprints all over it. Because God blesses you with money in the first place, and then you bless us with it, and then God blesses you again because you've given it to us, and it just creates a cycle of blessing and generosity. God is generous to us, we're generous to others, and it just feeds on itself. Listen, I love to teach on tithing and generous giving. Because if you can get your finances under the umbrella of God's protection, every area of your life will begin to improve. I have seen it over and over and over again. And if your finances are are in chaos and disorder, every other area of your life is going to be in chaos and disorder. Because Jesus says, we put him first, everything else falls into line. Ministry takes money. And oh, for 20 years, you folks have been generous, generous people. We've never had money problems in this church because God is generous to you, you're generous to us, God just blesses the whole thing. I mean, you've given over $17,000 already to the Nepal Church Project. That doesn't include what's going to come in this weekend. We're going to be able to pay off that mortgage for those people. We really will. Because God has been generous to you, and you've been generous to them, and we're just blessing and supporting one another. But ministry takes money. But you're generous, generous people. Number seven, a life in ministry that's effective is backed by prayer. Paul says, join me in my struggle. How? By praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there. We join in other people's ministries when we pray for their ministry. As a member of the body of Christ, you need to pray. Not just for your area of ministry, you need to pray for the ministry throughout the whole body. Because the Bible tells us we're to go out into the world, the whole world, and attract and win and develop members into mature believers. We're to help them discover their spiritual gifts and get involved in ministry in the church and in mission in the world. All of us. Look at Luke 10 too. Jesus told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And so let me just ask you, Do you pray for our growth track and dream team? Do you pray for our our life development process around here, of how we help people discover their gifts and get plugged into ministry? Do you pray for our small groups? Not just your small group, but every small group. I mean, if we're going to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission, it's going to take more of us. It's going to take all of us. And so we need to be praying for one another. Number eight, an effective life and ministry is a relay, not a marathon. Uh, when we started Rockbrook Church, I, I realized one of the keys of uh, effective churches is that the senior pastor stays a long time. I was reading just yesterday that the average tenure of a pastor is five to seven years. That means that if we were an average church, we would have had uh, three to four pastors over the last 20 years. You know, some guys have the gift of starting a new church and then passing it off to uh, other pastors who pastor it for a while. And then they go on, they start another church. And the Apostle Paul, he planted churches in city after city, and then he ordained pastors in those cities to take care of those churches. But I realized I, I'm not a serial church planter. I, I didn't want to start church after church after church and move from place to place. I, I'm a founding pastor. I wanted to start a church and spend the rest of my life pastoring that church. 
And I used to tell people that my goal was to drop dead out here on this platform preaching a sermon at the ripe old age of 80. And, and I used to tell, I tell this church, young church that because I wanted people to know I was committed to staying. That I was willing to spend my life pastoring this church. And 20 years later, here I am. But I've stopped saying that my goal was to die on the platform. Because the older I get, the more real that possibility becomes. Okay? But, but there's another reason. I also came to realize that that's not healthy. It's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for the church. Uh, you know, I used to view Christian life and ministry as a marathon. I thought the goal was for me to run as far and as fast as I could and then drop dead at the finish line and go on to glory. But this is not just about me breaking the tape at the finish line. That's not the legacy of effective ministers. Truly effective ministers are the ones who pass the baton on to those who run the race after them. Because ministry is a relay, not a marathon. Two years ago, I turned 60. And it was a landmark uh, event in my life. And I made the decision at that time that I was going to re-up I was going to recommit my life to uh, ministry for another 10 years. Uh, Moses says in Psalm 90 that we get three score and 10. We get 70 years, 80 if we're healthy. And so I, I just uh, realized, you know, I, I want the next 10 years to be more fruitful than the previous 60. And so I re-upped to the ministry. And one day shortly before my 60th birthday, I found a wheat penny in my change. And I turned it over, and it was a 1955 penny. It was from the year I was born. And I realized, this penny is, is 60 years old. This penny is as old as I am. And so I stuck it in my pocket, and I carried it around for a while, and it kind of became a, a little symbol of my desire to recommit myself uh, for ministry for the next 10 years. But carrying it around in my pocket, I was afraid I would spend it or lose it. And, and so a good friend of mine made me a paracord bracelet, and I attached that penny uh, to, uh, to this bracelet. And so now every morning when I get up, I put on this bracelet and it reminds me of my recommitment to life and ministry for the next, uh, next 10 years, maybe 20. And so every, every day, my watch tells me what time it is, my bracelet tells me how much time I have left. Okay? And, and both of those are, are important things to consider. And at that time, I also started to look at how effective ministers finish well. And I discovered that the key to finishing well is how well you pass the baton to those who come after you. Because ministry, life, is a relay, not a marathon. And Paul talks about this relay process in a letter that he wrote to Timothy. Timothy was one of the young pastors that Paul put over one of the churches that he planted. And Paul tells Timothy... He says, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And you look in that one verse and there's four legs of a relay in there. There's Paul, there's Timothy, there's reliable people who teach it to others. And actually, that four-legged relay has continued unbroken all the way down to you and me. All the way down to you and me, people have faithfully been passing the baton of, of, of the gospel of God. It's a relay. The baton has been passed. I don't want Rockbrook to be a one-man church. I don't want it to be a one-generation church. I don't want it to be a marathon church. I want it to be a relay church. 
So while I am committed to minister here for the next eight, maybe even uh, 18 years, I'm also committed to passing the baton of ministry to reliable people who can teach others. Because the future of Rockbrook depends on passing that baton. And so over the last two years, man, I've been praying, I've been reading, I've been studying, I've been talking to other pastors, I've been looking at other churches about how best to pass the baton. And so with significant input from our directors and from our pastoral management team, we've made the decision to change my title and my job description. I'm no longer the senior pastor of Rockbrook Church. I am now the founding pastor of Rockbrook Church. Now, I'm not the floundering pastor, okay? I've been that for 20 years, but I'm the founding pastor. I'm not leaving, I'm not retiring, but I am intentionally and intently looking at how I can pass the baton of ministry responsibility to those who are coming after me. It's crucial to our future. So if I'm the founding pastor, then this church needs a new senior pastor. And so the directors and the pastoral management team have scheduled a membership meeting for Tuesday night, June 20th, a little over two weeks, at 7 p.m., and we're going to vote to make Ryland Walter the new senior pastor of Rockbrook Church. Okay? Ryland has been at this church from the very beginning. He's been in ministry at this church from the very beginning. If there's anyone who loves this church more than me, it's Ryland. And Ryland exemplifies these eight keys of effective ministry. And I look forward to working with him over the next 8 to 18 years and helping him to become the best senior pastor that he can be. Now, what's this going to look like? Well, I'm going to continue to preach at Rockbrook. Ryland's going to preach here. I've got two series planned for the summer months that I'm going to do. I'm going to continue to train pastors internationally. I've got two trips planned for this fall, God willing. But I'm going to begin to pass off my senior pastor duties to Ryland. And Ryland is going to begin to pass off his worship pastor duties to Chris Brown. And Chris Brown is going to begin to pass off his growth track dream team responsibilities to Patrick Jitto. Patrick Jitto's a, a wonderful godly guy in our church that we've hired uh, to come on staff. He's going to come on in August and we'll start that process. But, but we're strategically setting up a lot of baton passing because I truly believe our best days are ahead of us. Somebody else believes our best days are ahead of us too. Watch this. Hello, Rockbook Church, and congratulations on your 20th birthday this weekend, June 2 and 3. Wow, 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 that's incredible. You know, I'm Pastor Rick, uh, pastor of Saddleback Church, your sister church out here on the West Coast in California, author of The Purpose Driven Life, and I want you to know I love your pastor. Uh, Kelly, Walter, and Ryland who is executive pastor, they have traveled with me around the world. We've been together. We've been teaching purpose-driven church to thousands and thousands of pastors around the world. Uh, I love your church. You know, uh, this is a purpose-driven church plant that you guys started in 1997 after a purpose-driven church conference. And uh, your church was one of the first church health award recipients way back in 2004 when we began honoring churches for balance and health. And then, of course, when we started the peace plan, uh, you were one of the earliest participants in the peace plan back in 2005. 
your pastor and your leadership have been international trainers uh, in India alone just since 2000, all the way back to 2008. Of course, you've been in Nepal, you've been in the Philippines. Uh, you are what we call a five medal award recipient because your church has done all the different things that we do together in our fellowship of churches that are trying to be built on purpose. But more important than all of those past achievements, I just want you to know that I'm proud of you because I know you are committed to another generation of purpose-driven staff, another generation of purpose-driven lay leaders and volunteers for the future of Rockbrook, and I, we expect the best of you. Your church is moving from a generation to another generation, just like Saddleback is, and we're doing it all for the global glory of God. Uh, I know that you're sending out some of your leaders uh, to the June conference uh, coming out. Uh, you got some staff, lay leaders, missionaries, other pastors. I look forward to fellowshipping with Kelly and the whole team. But I wanted to just say this weekend, I am so proud of you. Happy birthday, Rockbrook. God bless you. The truth is, I can't do this alone. Ryland can't do this alone. The staff can't do this alone. We've got to do it together. We need all of you. Each one of you holds the key to effective life and ministry at this church, in your own life. Uh, each one of you hold the key to the future of this church. And to illustrate that, I want to get each, give each one of you a key. Uh, to remind you the accomplishments that we've uh, done so far, to remind you the keys to effective life and ministry in your life, and to remind you of our future. And so when you leave this service, we've got little baskets at each one of the doors. There's a uh, basket of little keys there, and you can reach in and take one, and, uh, and you can hopefully use that as a reminder of the keys to effective life and ministry. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that, that it's all because of your grace. It's not because of us. It doesn't depend on us. God, we thank you that it's built on God's word, that, that as we bring our life in line with your word, that, that we find hope, we find the help that we need in order to be effective in life. God, we thank you that it's done for your glory. It's not about us. It's all about you. And it's performed in your power. So God, help us. Help us to plan our life according to your purposes. And that we would realize that indeed we are supported. We don't just do this alone. We're supported by God's people. People pray for us. They, they help. They encourage. They build up. We're a body that cares for one another. God, stir us to pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would raise up every one of us to be as effective as possible, that we might be able to fulfill the great commission and the great commandments that you've given to us. God, th th this is a relay. It's not a marathon. And I thank you for that. I thank you that we can rest in the fact that our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, they're not left to their own devices. That indeed you have a plan for us to shepherd and lead and guide and pass the baton of holiness, godliness, onto the next generation. Thank you for that hope. God, I pray we would rise to it. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>